Yay. Yay. Um, hey, Joe. Hey, Megan. How are you? Living, Megan is... Everything's fine. Yeah, everything's fine. <laughs> everything's fine. Um, it's the most unusual Palm Sunday in my ministry career, but um, we're continuing with our series on the Gospel of Mark and today's message. It's amazing, right? You know, we don't really have to do any topical messages because everything that we're going through in the Gospel of Mark fits perfectly with what's going on. It's pretty wild. Uh, number 23 in the series of this Gospel, uh, Mark the Gospel, the Gospel of Mark series is called Time for a Change. So the good thing about a crisis is how it transforms ordinary And it gives us an opportunity for something extraordinary, something different, something new, something better. And I think, wouldn't you agree with me that life as we know it, or life as we knew it, will never really fully return to what it was just a couple of months ago. Things are always going to be different. I mean, didn't most of us, not too long ago, even though we would complain about it, we pretty much had very predictable lives. They were ordinary. We had our weekly structures to manage our tasks and our expectations. And uh, we knew what was coming next. And wouldn't you agree with me that we were pretty comfortable? More comfortable than we maybe realized with our jobs, our families, even our kingdom work. But COVID-19 has exposed many weaknesses in how we were living the softness that was in our lives, the comfort. It has forced us to rethink how we're going to do things going forward. And as hard as it is, once all this is over, do you secretly hope, like I do, that we'll never go back to the way it was before? I want it to be over, don't get me wrong, but I don't want to waste the impact that a pandemic can have on our lives spiritually. And in today's passage, that's exactly sort of what happened to Jesus and his disciples after two years of doing things one way. Let's look at the passage. (coughs) Excuse me, Mark 6. And he called the twelve and began to send them out two by two. And he gave them authority over unclean spirits. He charged them to take nothing for their journey except a staff, no bread, no bag, no money in their belts, but wear sandals and not put on two tunics. And only, in other words, only one set of clothing. And he said to them, wherever you enter a house, stay there until you depart from there. And if any place will not receive you and they will not listen to you, when you leave, shake off the dust that is on your feet as a testimony against them. So they went out and proclaimed that people should repent. Don't let that part go, by the way. That's a very bold, offensive message, that they should repent. And they cast out many demons and anointed with oil many who were sick and healed them. So what we do at Grace Life, we look at each passage in three applications. The history, what about man, what did he do? The theology, but what about God, what does he do? And then the personal or the spiritual or the devotional side, what about us, what do we do? I want to talk about the history of this passage and talk about how circumstances have changed. To this point, whether it was preaching or teaching, or healing, or deliverance, or the miracles, Jesus has been doing it all. 
And his disciples, for the most part, were just students, spectators in training, much like much of the church in America is today, frankly. But that's all about to be changed. <clears throat> and with the idea and the burden of the cross ominously looming, not too distant from the, in the future, and there's so much to be done, the time has come, Jesus knows, for a new way of doing ministry. He knows his time is short before his crucifixion and what we will celebrate next week, the resurrection. And things are coming to a head politically, socially, everything. <clears throat> Jesus knows there's going to be tragedy and pain and hardship that's going to climax for his disciples over the next couple of months. What they're about to face is going to be terrible. So he begins to prepare them for a new life. And after two years of watching and learning, the circumstances demand a new strategy because they were constrained by these crowds and it's a hard time to live right now for them. There's no medical science. You think we have a pandemic problem. It was rampant then. Most people just frankly struggle for their daily bread for themselves and their family at that point. Evil is rampant everywhere, both human evil and spiritual evil. So people have been thirsty for what Jesus brings to the table, what he can do for them. And so the crowds are extremely concentrated around Jesus. He's this incredible social magnet, a phenomenon never seen before. So many are there for the miracles, not necessarily the message. The spectacle is what they're there for, not necessarily the hope. And the bigger the crowds, the harder it is on everyone, especially the neediest of those who Jesus is trying to call. In addition to that, it's impossible just to operate regular life. The crowds are constantly pushing in, draining resources, no, no privacy. They can't even eat. And think of the logistical problems alone during this time with the crowds. Food, water, without being too graphic, people were leaving themselves. In public, it's a disgusting mess, and ministry is almost impossible. Teaching is certainly almost impossible. There's no public address system. No streaming live on YouTube like we're doing. No easy way to access a coliseum or a meeting hall for everybody to come in. And if there was, it wouldn't be big enough. The crowds have become a massive impediment. And many that Jesus wants to call can't even be a part of this crowd. So he decides to take advantage of some cultural things that benefited other rabbis. And I'm going to talk about rabbi representatives. There's a Greek word in there. It's called apostello. It's where we get the word apostle from. It means to send official representatives to other regions with authority to speak on your behalf. It was extremely common for Jewish leaders, rabbis, to apostello. The word is not a noun. It is actually a verb. It means to send someone as an official. So they would apostello, they would send, I send is what the word apostello means, representatives to expand their influence. It's a verb, not a noun. And when the leading rabbi would speak, the commissioned agents would take his message out to other regions for him. They could carry a message. They could receive donations. 
They could represent their rabbi in official proceedings or dealings with the temple or the Roman government. So that's what was going on. That's what rabbis would do. And Jesus is about to take advantage of that cultural system. Another aspect of what would happen is there was this cultural hospitality. Let me explain what that means. So people in a town would be very familiar with this type of visit from an official rabbi or his official representatives of leading rabbis. They knew they would come in to try to spread their message. So a rabbi's representatives could count on people that had affection for the rabbi they represented, people who embraced his teachings. They could count on them to extend hospitality and help them while they were there. It was an unsaid thing. They would treat these representatives just as they would the rabbi they loved himself, providing whatever they need for as long as they need it. Now, refusing to extend this hospitality to a rabbi's representatives was an intentional, specific, public rejection of him and his message. It would be like the same type of rejection we learned about last week in Nazareth that stunned Jesus. If you deny hospitality to a rabbi's representatives, it's a slap in the face saying, we don't believe you, we don't like you, get out. So that's the structure in place. And now let's look at the spiritual. What about Jesus? What does he do? I want to talk about ordinary and extraordinary. First of all, I want you to see that there was an ordinary kind of ascending going on here. While these men are special to us now, right, as the apostles, these 12 guys that are going out, people wouldn't have seen these men as anything but ordinary. They would have been no different than any other representative of any other rabbi. The mission itself was pretty normal. It was ordinary. It was a rational, common plan. The plan itself wasn't unusual or exciting to send people out with the message. They were supposed to travel light, which you would. Don't pack food or money, depending upon the hospitality of those in the towns you're going, the the ones that already know our message and love us. Just wear the sandals and the clothes on your backs. And depending on those who embrace your message to provide for you, by the way, also go in pairs for support, protection, also for accountability so that everything can be confirmed with a witness There is that simple common directive, which all rabbis would have told their people to follow. If they reject you, they don't take care of you, they don't extend hospitality, they reject our message, just move on. But then again, if you remember, Jesus was also considered ordinary, wasn't he, by those who rejected him? Remember what they said in Nazareth, we talked about last week? Is this not just the carpenter, Jesus, the one that grew up here, the son of Mary? And notice they don't say the son of Joseph. It's likely an allusion to his perceived illegitimacy as a child. Remember, that was still a thing. But there's an extraordinary part about this mission. This is the part that makes their sending so different from all the other rabbi representatives. So they have heard him teach and preach for nearly two years now. They have seen his authority on display. He has displayed authority theologically, teaching a new covenant about how to connect with the Father without religion, without the temple. 
They've seen him display his authority culturally, courage and wisdom to challenge authorities, both Roman and temple authorities, and they've seen his authority supernaturally. Power to perform miracles as a sign to those he is calling to salvation. And now, he's not just sending them out on the rabbi representative apostello kind of circle. He's giving them authority far beyond what any other rabbi could ever dream of giving them. He entrusts them, get this now, don't don't let this gloss over you. He's entrusting them with the authority to perform miracles in his name as a sign to those he is calling to faith and repentance, people who can't be part of that crowd. This gives these apostles a power to proclaim an unfiltered, quite offensive, risky message For anyone who has ears to hear, which is this, the way you've been doing life and religion is wrong. Repent. Follow our rabbi Jesus. It's not stripped down. It's not made palatable with slick marketing, with the hard to hear parts removed, because he's given them authority. Authority to proclaim a full kingdom message with all of its benefits but frankly, a message fraught with political, religious, and social risks. It's far different from any other rabbi representatives. It's miraculous, it's controversial, and it's powerful. And for the very first time, after two years, Jesus puts all the responsibility and authority of calling his other lost sheep of Israel, he puts it all on their shoulders. Can you imagine what these men are thinking, what they're feeling as they're given this most important task of their lives? What's more extraordinary, Jesus knew they weren't perfect. He knew what Peter was going to do, denying him three times later. He knew what Judas was going to do, betraying him for silver. He knew Thomas, what he was going to do, doubt that it was really Jesus, I could go on and on, but he sends them anyway. Yet he still entrusts them with this precious task of calling other lost sheep into the kingdom fold, and their eternity is at stake. But he also says, listen, I need you to be ready for rejection. He's prepared them for it. After all, they had already witnessed Firsthand, the scorn that Jesus has received in different towns. And just as people rejected Jesus despite the miracles, right? Despite the message and authority, the disciples too would be rejected. Matter of fact, Jesus says in Luke 21, 17, you will be hated by all for my name's sake. I'm going to read it again just in case you're, you will be hated by all for my name's sake. He says, look, the student cannot be greater than the teacher. If they're going to reject me, they're also going to reject you. Probably for the first time in their lives, they feel vulnerable. They needed each other, and they need the kingdom. But even with this incredible, dangerous threat of rejection... They also have 
because of what he had just preached about the seed and the sower went through Mark 4, all that incredible stuff that he was teaching them about how the kingdom was going to be massive. There is this bubbling expectation deep within that the kingdom, in spite of all these things we have to overcome, these obstacles, these barriers, this kingdom is going to grow exponentially. So that's spiritually what he does. Now let's look at the personal. What about us? What are we supposed to do and why and how do we do it? I've called this, well, it's, I actually have it wrong on the slide. It should say things are different now. Things are different now. So this was the social media campaign I put up on Twitter. If you're not following me on Twitter, you should. Or follow Mark the Evangelist. He's really good, too. Um, without a bold, strategic, external kingdom commission, our Christian community is pointless. Sounds harsh, doesn't it? It's meant to be. So I'm a little nervous about what I'm going to share next because you guys know I have a disdain for anything that comes across political in any way when it comes to worship. And that's not my intention here. I don't want to be political. So don't be offended by this. If you are, try to see what I'm trying to accomplish. And I was nervous about it, by the way, but I was talking to a friend of mine who lives in South Florida, godly man, and I asked him his opinion. What do you think? Should I share this? And he said, if the Spirit's given it to you, you've got to. And he was praying for me. And so he gave me the courage. So thank you, brother, for that. He gave me the courage to do this. So it's not meant to be political, but it's just so relevant to what it, I'm talking about this week. So some of you know the story about this Mike Lindell guy, this My Pillow guy. He was a former crack addict. And for years, he struggled with crack addiction until one day when he says he went to Christ and asked God to rescue him from that addiction. Now he's a successful businessman, and he's one of the several dozens of companies that have come through and are trying to make stuff for the medical community and things like that. And he's at this White House press conference at a podium, most of the nation's watching, and he only spoke for two minutes. It was kind of short. But the last 45 seconds, he talks about how COVID-19 was a spiritual opportunity for our country. He's a believer. And it wasn't a perfect message at all. It wasn't very eloquent. Parts of it, frankly, are too political for my taste. But what really got him in trouble was, was this line right here. I encourage you to use this time at home to get back into the Bible. Read the Word. Spend time with your families. And then he encouraged everyone in the country to start praying for our leaders and one another every day. And at first, when I was listening to it, I thought, wow, that's a little, a little too direct. And when I first heard it, I'll be honest with you, I cringed a little bit. Oh, maybe you shouldn't have done that in this setting, right? Maybe some of you felt the same way when you saw it. And then Twitter just blew up. It was on fire with hate. Words like, what an idiot. What a moron. What a dummy. What a radical. He's insane. Insensitive. It was just pure disdain and hatred. How can you talk about Jesus when we're facing a pandemic? But don't get me wrong, in those last 45 seconds, after he said that, and I saw the response, I saw some similarities with the passage that I was studying to preach this week. He's completely an imperfect messenger, reading from a crumpled piece of paper with an imperfect presentation, and he's totally rejected. And I realized if there was ever a moment for a direct, offensive message of the gospel, wouldn't it be now? With what we're going through? 
And here's a, a, a brother in Christ that I may not totally agree with on much, but he was bold and courageous, saying we need to get back. See, in the same way, everything changed after Jesus sent his apostles with his authority on this mission. It was nerve-wracking, and it was stressful. But let me ask you a question. Once they got back, do you think they were like, eh, let's just stick to the old way while we were just watching Jesus all the time? you think that's how they felt? Or do you think maybe it was the opposite? Well, that was hard, Jesus, but that was really cool. It's nothing compared to the pain they would soon experience. But this prepared them. And in the same way, I believe COVID-19 is changing everything for the church today. And let me just say something. I pray we never go back to the kind of church we were before, ever. For the church to be effective in this new life, we are going to be forced to take a totally new, aggressive, courageous approach to ministry. Our fellowship, our community, and our kingdom service is being transformed through this in ways we don't even understand or see yet, frankly. But we must be committed to the cause. See, COVID-19 isn't just changing our strategies. You know, it used to be that I would never want to live stream because I want to make sure people come. But COVID-19's changed that priority. But if COVID-19 just changes our strategies and our priorities, it's a complete waste of a pandemic. And that would be tragic because it is forcing us to evaluate just how seriously we take our kingdom membership and our kingdom work. And if you are truly a Christ follower, and I, and I, don't, I don't want to say this in a way that's offensive, but... I believe if you're truly a Christ follower, this will change your values. This will gift you a new, deeper motivation for God's kingdom work. If you're truly a Christ follower, you won't get so caught up in longing for the old, comfortable days of pre-COVID-19. We will be thankful that it's transforming us through suffering to become a better church. In some places, maybe even a real church. I think COVID-19 should be making true believers more determined than ever, more committed than ever, even possible before. And for that reason, we're going to need courage for the coming mission. So I imagine like in the first few towns and villages, these guys went in right after they're sent out, right? It's the first time they're out doing ministry without Jesus they have his authority and his power, but not him. The first few villages they went to, I bet you they were nervous as could be, don't you think? Shaken. They probably have some notes and it's crumpled up and they're trying to read it, you know, and I don't know. And it's imperfect, it's flawed, they're inexperienced, and they're ordinary man, men with this incredibly critical task. Can you imagine the butterflies right before their first speech? All right, man, are you ready? We're getting ready to go into this town. 
and we're going to preach about Jesus. I don't know what's going to happen. I hope I say it right. Did we get this right with the kingdom and the sower? Yeah, that's right. Can you make sure that if I say it wrong, you tap me on? They're probably like freaking out. How perfect do you think their message was on that first trip? You think it was a little bit flawed? Think they screwed up a little bit? You think maybe it was offensive? You think maybe they were possibly scoffed at? Hated? Made fun of? Rejected? You think they made mistakes that made that even worse? Maybe they brought some of it on themselves? But as with his disciples, the good thing is Jesus today uses very flawed, imperfect, ordinary people for the same mission that he gave them. And we're going to need to have courage in our current circumstances, knowing some are going to hate us for it. And that's okay. Because in the end, we're going to need a new grace life. I've been talking about the church more globally. Now I want to talk about the church specifically, the ones that are part of this fellowship, whether you're watching from another place or in town or wherever. I, it's been a hard few weeks for a lot of people. For some people, they have it worse. I have some dear friends and brothers and sisters in New York that are really suffering and struggling through this at the epicenter. But I was talking to a pastor friend of mine in New York. His name is Dan. Talking to him this morning. And we're both kind of excited about what lies ahead. And we don't want any part of pre-COVID-19 church. I don't want any part of pre-COVID-19 grace life. I don't want that back. And here's an example of how I see it playing out here. I enjoyed a uh, um, tremendous conversation with a man in our church this week, and it came at just the right time. I think it was Tuesday. And he had a reason for calling me. He wanted to make it clear that he wanted some marching orders. He says, listen, it's time for me to do things differently. It's time for me to make a transition. I'm seeing my kingdom work and my kingdom calling differently going forward, especially after all this is done. And he says, Joe, I need you to tell me what to do. Here's what he didn't do. He didn't say, here are my parameters. Here's my schedule. Here's my availability. Here's what I'm willing to do. Can you make it fit? He didn't do that. He said, whatever it is, literally in a text, he said, whatever it is, tell me. Tell me what? Tell me when? Tell me where? Tell me how and who I'm working with. I'm ready. Just give me the direction I need. So my response to that is is twofold. First of all, it's incredibly encouraging and inspiring, and I'm so proud of my brother and my friend for for saying that, but then it's a little bit intimidating. Okay, he's ready. Am I really the one to tell him what to do? What if I tell him wrong, and I don't really know? Like, what am I? So I started thinking, do I, you know, I got to think about this because this guy is ready to roll, and and I know this guy. He's very talented, and he's gifted, and he's smart, and he's, he's passionate. He loves people, and so... He's an incredible kingdom resource, and I'm starting to think, okay, there's a big responsibility now that I have to make sure, and I start to get a little overwhelmed, 
then I started saying, God, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to need you to help me here with this. And it occurred to me, that's the message for all of us, Grace Life. We need to pray that Heavenly Dad gives us clear direction. He gives us wisdom and courage to follow the new mission he so clearly called us to. Not just as a church, but as individuals. And church, it is time for a change. World circumstances, just like for the disciples and Jesus, is demanding that we start to do things differently. And I pray we will never, ever, ever go back to where we were pre-COVID-19. That life's boring, comfortable, and it sucks. This is our life now, and I'm excited to see where God leads us. Heavenly Dad, we are, as brothers and sisters in Christ, as a church, we stand ready for you to tell us and equip us with what you want us to do. We're ready to take your message of hope and redemption. Lord, we're going to try to do it as good as we can, but we're flawed and we're weak and we stumble and, we, and sometimes we get in our own way and we make mistakes, but we know this, your message of repentance and the gospel has authority that people need to hear. So we ask that you help us, enable us, make it clear what we're supposed to do, how we're supposed to do it. You've already started to do that in many respects. I pray that it would continue. Lord, we don't want to be the church we were before. All our marketing schemes and plans that we had to grow, none of those mean anything now if we're not courageous and commissioned with a bold message. And that message is faith in Christ is what a hurting world needs. Thank you for that. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you guys for joining us again this week. We're going to keep doing this for the foreseeable future, obviously. Uh, next week is Easter Sunday. I hope you'll join us. It's going to be strange, but it'll be good to be together. And for you guys that are on the YouTube live chat, that's a really cool thing. You know what I do, actually? Don't, don't judge me, but I go home and I read it back. <laughs> I do. I love it. I just read it. And Martini, you got to clean up your post. But other than that, everything is great, Chris. But um, we miss you guys more than you know. We love you. And we still, we've been able to help a lot of you this week. If you need something, you've got to let us know. We have the resources. We have the people. We have an incredibly, surprisingly generous church. And if you need us, we got your back. Thanks, guys. And we'll see you next week.